Amen, amen. If you have your Bibles, open up to John chapter 8. John chapter 8, we're going to be in verses 12 through 30 this morning. Verses 12 through 30 in John chapter 8. If you don't have your own copy of God's Word, then you can open up to page 1232, 1232 there in the pew Bible in front of you. You can Take that home with you if you don't have your own Bible. You're welcome to that. Uh, as you're opening there, I just want to say, uh, ask for you to pray for Whitney and Watsy and I as we head out uh, right after church today. Hopefully as soon as possible, we're going to head out to the Southern Baptist Convention in Dallas, Texas. And so uh, we're looking forward to going there. Just pray that we'll uh, be able to travel safely and have a good time there and uh, vote well and do, do our duty as, as Southern Baptists and trying to train our itty-bitty Baptists on, on good polity, you know, as we go out there. And, uh, and so Whitney and Watsy and I will be going out there and, and coming back so, uh, on, on Thursday. So just pray for us as we travel this week. Pray for the conviction that God will be glorified. If you have your Bibles open, why don't you go ahead and stand with me out of reverence for the reading of the words of our God. John writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in such a way that as the words on this page are being read, God himself is speaking to you. Beginning of verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, You are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. You see, back in chapter 5, Jesus had had told him, so they're trying to play with him, trying to mess with his words. 14, Jesus answered, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from and where I am going, but you do not know where I come from or where I am going. Verse 15, You judge according to the flesh, I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your Father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my Father. If you knew me, you would also know my Father. Verse 19 Verse 20, these words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. So he said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself? Since he says where I am going, you cannot come. He said to them, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, Who are you? Jesus said to them, Just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge, but He who sent me is true. And I declare to the world that what I have heard from Him. They did not understand that He had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man... Then you will know that I am He, that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And He who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing 
to him. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. Let's pray together. Lord, open our hearts and minds today to receive your word, God, and to be changed by it. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. This week has featured keen reminders of the darkness in the world around us. In particular, we've seen this week and heard about, unfortunately, the suicides of two prominent people. One, a fashion designer named Kate Spade, and another, a chef and uh, television personality named Anthony Bourdain. And in particular, these two suicides have been jarring for my wife and I. She likes Kate Spade a lot and always has liked Kate Spade's work, and I like Anthony Bourdain a lot. I've loved watching his shows, and I've enjoyed visiting places I've never been through Anthony Bourdain's shows. And so as I've pondered this reality, these two very public, very notable suicides, and then as I've heard the news that suicide rates in the United States have increased, I I think one study said maybe by as much as 25% we've seen an increase in suicide rates. I've been troubled. I've been troubled. It's jarring for me as a pastor. And then I sit and wonder how many people there might be in my own congregation, our own pews, people I know and love who are going through struggles that we can't see and that we don't know. You see, it's been a reminder for me this week as I've struggled with these realities of the need of light in the darkness. The need of light in the darkness. Now that's not to say that Christians are never troubled or that Christians can't experience depression or that Christians can't even have suicidal thoughts. I, I don't think that's the case at all. I, I think you understand my view of the Bible, my view of the gospel enough to recognize that I believe sanctification is a process and all the effects of the fall aren't immediately eradicated once someone becomes a Christian. And so many Christians struggle with all sorts of things, but we still recognize in the midst of bad news and bad days and bad weeks that our world needs light. Collectively, we need light to shine in the darkness. Collectively, we need a collective hope that we can cling to. Otherwise, our society is going to continue to move deeper and deeper into this malaise that's sat in and that's unfortunately taking the lives of so many. But we ought to not be surprised by the darkness of the world, even though we ought to be troubled by it. We ought to be saddened by it. It ought to motivate us to preach the gospel, the whole gospel, to whole people, to the whole world. But nonetheless, we, we recognize that we ought not to be surprised by it. In fact, this passage that we're looking at today, John sort of prepares us for in his prologue. He does that a lot. He sets out a lot of the themes of his gospel in what we call the prologue to John, back in John chapter 1. But, but listen to what verses 9 through 11 of John 1 say. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world, what, did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. The darkness of the world ought not to surprise us. And yet this morning, I want you to see, even as we consider the darkness in the world around us, and the darkness perhaps in some of our own hearts and lives, I want to give you three challenges this morning 
about how we, how you and how I ought to relate to the light of the world. Three challenges this morning to you concerning the light of the world. Here's the first point this morning. First challenge for you is this. Seek the light, that is seek Jesus when it's hard. Seek the light when it's hard. Jesus here makes a radical statement. Seek the light when it's hard because Jesus here is making a radical statement. I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. Here's the first thing you need to do. You need to understand in this context exactly what it is that Jesus is doing. As you know, he's here at this time during the festival of booze. And so far in John's gospel, Jesus has identified himself, first of all, with the manna in the wilderness. I am the bread of life. And then he identified himself with the water from the rock. If anyone is thirsty, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And so Jesus is identifying himself with the prominent imagery of the Exodus. He's showing the way that he is the ultimate fulfillment. He is the ultimate fulfillment of the promises of God and the deliverance of God, the delivery that God has given His people in the Exodus. And now, what's He doing? Now, He is identifying Himself with the pillar of fire that led God's people in the wilderness. I am the light of the world. You see, each time at this Feast of Booths, which is where they would celebrate the Exodus each year by living in booths like they did or living in tabernacles in these small man-made houses they'd sleep in them, during this festival to celebrate the Exodus. Each time, they, each day, they would have a, a morning or a daily water parade. We, we talked about that a couple of weeks ago, where water would be taken from the pool of Siloam to the temple to celebrate God's provision of water and to anticipate the future Messiah. But much like that, there was also a nightly lights ceremony during the Feast of Booths. Every night, they would have a celebratory lighting of the lamps of the temple. And now listen, this is not a First Baptist Church Christmas Eve candlelight service. This is a Pentecostal, we might burn the temple down if we're not careful, lights service. Okay? They 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 went bananas over this. They, they played music and they danced and they and they uh, waved uh, the different lights around. And what the sources said is as these songs and dancing and lights happened as these Lamps in the temple are lit that eventually the lights would become so bright that, that they're from the temple mount that the glow would kind of ca- cast a glow over the city of Jerusalem. So here, in a, and I think John is, is editing this and showing us this and trying to highlight for us this reality. Jesus is highlighting us for this reality that as a festival is happening that's meant to celebrate the exodus, Jesus is over and over and over again showing that he is the ultimate fulfillment of God's promises. And so, you can imagine then how when a Pharisee hears this, they are so flustered and frustrated and, and, and have such difficulty believing this because of what Jesus is saying about himself. So with this radical statement in play, I guess we can understand them while the Pharisees just want to trap Jesus in his own words. You see, that's what they do in, in verse 13. Pharisees say to him, you're bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. They're, they're arguing like children. That's not what you said earlier. 
And by children, what I mean, they're arguing like married people do when they're mad at each other, right? Well, that's not what you said five minutes ago, you know. Well, that's not what you said earlier. Earlier, you said you don't bear witness about yourself. So now you're bearing witness about yourself? These guys, they're sharp, aren't they? They're so good. And by so good, <laughs> I mean that Jesus nails them every time. Every time they try to put him into a corner. See, uh, our Lord again in verses 14 through 18, he uses this opportunity to try again to teach them what he's been trying to teach them all along, and that's that God is his Father. The point when Jesus said, I don't bear witness about myself, it's my Father who bears witness about me. The point that Jesus is making is exactly the same point that he's making when he says, I am the light of the world. I fulfill the word of God. My Father has spoken clearly about me. And so they keep trying to to quibble with the Lord. They keep trying to find these little caveats and these little asterisks next to what he said to try to get out of these radical claims. And yet Jesus continually, continually, continually points to the fact that he was sent by his Father to carry out his Father's work. That's why they ask him, where is Your father, verse 19. Jesus answered. He exposed their lostness in his answer. Listen to what he says. You know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. His own people, John says in John chapter 1, his own people did not receive him. It was hard for these folks to believe. It was Hard for them to have what they thought they knew about God reoriented. It was hard for them to hear that if they wanted to know the Father, they needed to know this man. Brothers and sisters, faith is hard for some of you. I understand that. Some of you have to grasp with white knuckles to hold on to the Lord Jesus Christ. For some of you, faith is a struggle. But just because it seems darker in your little corner of earth doesn't mean you ought to look for the light less means you ought to struggle to see the light more means that we ought to be willing to seek the light when it's hard just because the days are darker just because you can't quite seem to see because of the dimness of your own eyes for one reason or another much like these Pharisees their eyes were dimmed to the glory of God because of their selves. But there may be reasons in your life why you're just unable right now to see God for who He is. But that doesn't mean we try less. It means we try harder. Seek the light when it's hard. But second of all, seek the light while you can. Seek the light while you can. Verses 21 through 24. So he said to them again, I am going away, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot go. Brothers and sisters, seek the light while you can and recognize that you cannot get to God on your own. You cannot get to God on your own. We cannot earn our salvation. We cannot look hard enough to find God. We need help. We have to also recognize that the world is not going to know God on its own. One of the great critiques about Christianity is that folks just don't like it very much. Isn't that a good argument as to whether something's true or not? Personal taste. You see, we, we live in a culture and a society in which everything is relegated to, to 
personal taste. We've lost this idea that there are things that are objectively true and good and beautiful, that things can be evaluated. Each person is like the book of Judges. People just do what's right in their own mind. And so from everything we do, all the way from, from art and history and, and what's good and what's right, all the way down to what's true and what's moral, we think everything is personally subjective. And so we, we value then the fact that people sometimes just don't like what the Bible says. Now, people use this real flowery language. You know, you read Richard Dawkins or somebody like that, and they use this really, they, they really love to pile on the Bible. And you, I don't know if y'all ever, I like to go read uh, what atheists and skeptics have to say, um, because I think more and more and more that's our ministry, even here in the South, is reaching people who are skeptical. And so I like to hear have to say and people love to just dogpile on the bible the bible's this the bible's that and then we start as christians start to feel kind of self-conscious about it you know as if whether people like it whether it suits people's tastes is what makes something true or not that's what the bible says verses 22 23 so the jews said will he kill himself since he says where i am going you cannot come sometimes jesus conversations with the with the Pharisees, it's like adventures in density. They just, you know, it's just the things they think of and say. I just, it's stunning to me. I guess I should be more gracious toward them because I, thankfully, have experienced God's grace. But nonetheless, it just makes you wonder: Is he going to kill himself? Since he says, "Where I'm going, you cannot come." And then, verse twenty-three, Jesus answers. He said to them, "You are from below; I am from above. You are of this world; I am not of this world." Jesus is showing them the reason you can't see these things is because you're of the world. You see, the the world will not reach God on its own. Let me ask you this question: If you were going to save the world, what would you do? Think about that for a moment. Get that in your mind right now. If you were going to save the world, what would you do? If I came to choir practice on Wednesday night and said, all right, choir, here's what I want you to do. Save the world. I want you all to report back next Wednesday and let me know what you plan to do. What would your answer be? What would your answer be? Imagine this. Imagine that we polled the world without anyone ever having heard of the Bible. Do you think anyone, anyone in this room... Anyone in, the, in this brilliant choir, anyone in the whole world would come up with the idea of the gospel. No, never, never. It seems to us at first glance like a foolish way to save the world. That's why Paul tells us that the foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of men. Because our smartest and best people are trying all the time to come up with a way to save the world, to make things better, to make men righteous, to make men moral. And we always think we've arrived. You know, we've, we've, we, we like to talk about the past, like, oh my goodness, people in the past were so terrible. You know, even 10 years ago, people were just so ignorant. But now we've been educated and we know things. We're better, we're better. But are we really? No, no. With every ounce of progress, don't we gain pounds of regress? And that's not to say that the world is as bad as it could be, but it is to say and to recognize that the world would never arrive at the gospel. And so seek the light while you can. You may be coming up with all these different ways to achieve this, but the bottom line is you must not die 
in your sin. You see, all of our solutions and all of our strategy, all our ways to deal with God and to reach God and all the ways that the world would come up with to try to reach God would all involve some sort of way to try to make us better. Some sort of way to improve ourselves. Brand new bootstrap from which we can pull ourselves up. Brand new strategy. We might write the best self-help book in the world. 25 steps to the perfect you. And yet, at the end of the day, none of our strategies could do anything with that which really messes the world up. None of our strategies could really do anything with that which has messed all of our lives up, and that's sin. That's sin. That's what Jesus says, verse 24. I told you that you would die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am he, ego, I'm me, all throughout the Greek translation of the Old Testament, when, when we have that word Yahweh, I am, it's translated ego, I, eat, I, me, I am. Unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Jesus is confronting them that unless they know him, they will die in their sins. Only one thing, only one thing can deal with our deepest and most true problem, and that is Jesus. Who cares how long you've gone to church, how good you've been? You're still a sinner apart from Christ. If you died now, would you die in your sin? I ask you that question today. If you died now, would you die in your sins? Only Jesus can do something with your sins. Here's our final point this morning. Seek the light to know God. Seek the light when it's hard. Seek the light while you can and seek the light to know God. Listen to what the Bible says, verse 28. I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. And they did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, verse 28, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. When you have lifted up the Son of Man, what does that mean? He's, he's talking about His cross. He's talking about His cross. The only way to know God is through the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is why our church is centered and focused on the gospel. It's because the gospel is what matters most. The gospel is all we have. Nothing else matters if we don't get the gospel right. And if we don't make sure that all that we do is centered around the gospel, then we're not fulfilling our mission as a church as we should. You see, we must seek the light to know God. We must know God through Jesus. It's only through the gospel. It's only once Jesus is lifted up. Now, when we think about a ruler being lifted up, we don't think about him going to the cross, do we? We think about their exaltation. But Jesus is here showing that it's his, his lowest moment is also his highest moment. That the zenith of his ministry, I mean the, the nadir of his ministry, is actually the zenith of his ministry, the height of his ministry. The lowest point is actually the highest point of his ministry. When he's lifted up to the eyes of the world, he was being brought low. But in the eyes of those who believe and who know the Father through Him, we recognize that when the Son of Man was lifted up, He's being lifted up on behalf of people that we can look to Him and be saved. 
If you want to know the Father, you must go through Jesus. Verse 29, He who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to Him. You see, I think some of us hold out hope. I, I think some of us hold out hope that there's some way to know God, that there's some grace that God has that's being saved for us that's outside the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's not a human being on this planet who's ever lived or who will ever live who will be offered God's grace outside of Jesus. The saints of the Old Testament were looking forward to the promise of God given through Jesus. The Bible makes clear that whatever grace we've ever received or ever will receive is offered to us through Christ. The wrath of God is satisfied at the cross. There is no other hope. There is no other way. There is nothing else. Hear Jesus and believe. Hear what He says and believe. Listen to what the Bible says. As He was saying these things, many believed in him and some of you do already but I, I believe with all my heart there's someone who's hearing this message maybe today maybe this morning maybe in this room maybe at home maybe later on television or online but I believe someone's hearing these words who's never trusted Jesus it's not biblical it's not true to think there's some grace for you that you'll find outside repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. It's only and always through the Son. Brothers and sisters, if you want to know God, and if you want to know God forever, you must find Him through Jesus. You must seek the light to know God. It won't always be easy, but we must seek the light when it's hard. It won't always be available, so we must seek the light while we can. And oh, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in God. So seek the light to know God. In a dark world, in dark times, in a world that so desperately needs hope. When you find yourself, it seems, groping in the darkness, finding anything, something to steady you, to orient you in the overwhelming, piercing blackness of night. Look to Jesus, the light of the world. I want to offer an invitation this morning. It's simple. If you're an unbeliever, if you've never trusted Jesus for the first time, I offer you this opportunity today to come talk with me and pray with me, or you can pray right where you are. If you'll turn from your sins of repentance and turn to Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for your sins, if you'll turn to Him in faith, He is faithful to save you. He will save you today. Second of all, Second of all, you may be a believer, but you may have just not been living out the gospel like you should. If you've been under conviction and you just want to pray or talk with me, I'll be down front and this altar is open to you. And finally, you may be looking for a church home. I'd love to talk to you today about what it means for you to be a member here at First Baptist Church. After this prayer, I want to invite you to come. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, our God, we thank you for the light. God, we thank you for this great pillar of fire, our Lord Jesus Christ, who leads us out of the wilderness of sin and leads us into the promised land of heaven. And God, today I pray that all who are here are following Him, are seeking the light. God, let us seek Him when it's hard. Let us seek Him while we can. Let us seek Him in order that we might know You. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.